0: Welcome to the Itchy Podcast. I'm David Calfee, editor of Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, a journal of the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. It's October 2022. In several recent episodes, we've talked about many established healthcare-associated infection outcome measures, such as CLABSI, VAP and VAE, and surgical site infections. Today, we're going to be talking about hospital onset bacteremia and fungemia which we'll refer to as HOB. There has been growing interest in and substantial research conducted related to this potential hospital quality metric over the past several years. And while this is something that many of us have probably not thought a lot about yet, I'm sure that we will be hearing more about it in the coming months, because it is being added as a new reportable measure in the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's National Healthcare Safety Network. So this seemed like a great topic to explore in the podcast. My guests today are investigators who have been leading a lot of the research that has helped us to understand the potential value and use of this HOB measure in our infection prevention and patient safety work. Two of the papers that have come out of this research were published in this month's issue of ITCHY. Joining us for today's discussion are Dr. Calvin Yu, President for Medical and Scientific Affairs for the US region at Becton Dickinson, and the former Chief of Infectious Diseases and Infection Control Officer, Kaiser Permanente of Southern California. Dr. Ray Dantes, who is an associate professor of medicine at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and a medical advisor to the CDC's National Healthcare Safety Network. And Drs. Gregory Schrank and Servi Lika from the University of Maryland in Baltimore. Dr. Schrank is an assistant professor of medicine and Dr. Lika is a professor of epidemiology and public health and the medical director of the infection control unit at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having
1: us. For Thank you. Out. Thanks David.
0: As I mentioned earlier, as compared to clabsi and mrsa bloodstream infections with which many of our listeners are very familiar as hai quality measures, I suspect that the hob concept is new to some of our listeners and if not entirely new, then at least something with which we're less familiar. So I'd like to start by going back to the beginning and talking about the general concepts that underlie the interest in looking at hospital onset bacteremia. As a hospital quality metric? And Serbi, I know that this is something you've been interested in and you've been doing research on for quite some time now. So can I ask you to provide some of the rationale for an HOB measure?
2: Yeah, no, thanks. That's that's a great question. And you know, it's true, we have been thinking about this for a very long time now. The way this started really goes back to you know, having roots in day-to-day hospital infection prevention and control, as our infection preventionist would review cases of bloodstream infection or positive blood cultures in patients, a pretty detailed review is required to understand whether something can be considered a CLABSI or attributed to what we consider a secondary or alternate source of, of an infection. And typically because CLABSI has been, you know, such a poster child for quality improvement, a big focus of prevention efforts, when something is adjudicated as not a collapse, those blood cultures are essentially set aside, for lack of a better term, and really not on anyone's radars to think about, you know, either impact to the patient or what can be done from, you know, identifying gaps and opportunities in our infection prevention and clinical practices. So that, I think, was a big impetus for us to think about, well, what about these other cases of, you know, bacteremia or fungemia that do seem significant to patient care but are not really being captured by the current metrics? A second thing, and I think it's related to this whole idea, too, of there's a lot of subjectivity and efforts involved in CLABSI surveillance, and a lot has been published on that, so I'm not going to get into those details. But the other thing that was also obvious, and this is pre-pandemic, when the C numbers were coming down nicely throughout the U.S., and we were left to deal with a lot of zeros, right, which is great from the CDC's perspective, from a QI perspective and hospital's perspective, but that also meant that when we were thinking of you know, how we compare hospitals or how we think about the quality of care, it really makes it hard to assess change when it is is one different from zero, are two cases reflective of poor performance, whereas we then have a larger number of these other bacteremias that could help us determine that if only we were assessing them or including them in, in a metric. So that, I think, in summary, was the rationale for us to start thinking about it and measuring it.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and I think that was really useful background information for the rest of the conversation. So now, I guess, going from the conceptual to the more practical aspects of this, you've published several studies now looking at HOB in different hospital populations. How have you actually defined these events in those studies?
2: Sure, I can start, and others can can chime in. So, uh, you know, we really modeled the definition after what we consider for other infections that are healthcare-associated or hospital-acquired. So many years ago, and you'll see this in in several publications, as well as the CDC's surveillance metrics, we often used a 48-hour rule. So anything, any event or infection event occurring in patients that was after 48 hours of being in the hospital would be attributed to being hospital-acquired. And I think that terminology eventually changing to hospital onset because acquisition is often not not quite clear. So in our earlier studies, that was the parameter that we used to define hospital onset bacteremia, considering any positive blood culture that is occurring after 48 hours of admission. What happened over time, and this is reflective, I think, of some changes to CDC definitions for other measures is, uh, I think, a couple of things. One is that the CDC moved from an hour's cutoff to using use of calendar days to define many of the infections and and use in surveillance. And then there were two metrics that have now been in use for several years. One is the hospital onset MRSA, bacteremia bloodstream infection, as well as the hospital onset C. diff infection. And both of those were defined with onsets on or after calendar day four with the move away from use of hours. So we also reflected that in our choice or or use the definition of HOB with moving away from, you know, over 48 hours to then more of a calendar day type definition to now considering four days or later. Others, please chime in on other things that may have influenced that definition.
0: Ray and Calvin, in your most recent study, you included a few other things in the definition in terms of perhaps adding more specificity perhaps to identifying those HOB events. Can you talk about what some of those additions to the definition was in your study?
1: Sure, David. So in our study, we characterized an HOB event using a two-rule rubric. The first was the first positive blood culture for a non-commensal bacteria or candida species. And that would be on a blood culture collected after day three of hospitalization. The second qualification was receipt of a new antimicrobial within two calendar days before and two calendar days after the HOB-defining blood culture collection. So the thought there was that the qualified antimicrobial days, if you will, and we did borrow that concept from the CDC hospital toolkit for adult sepsis surveillance, might potentially improve the specificity of that culture being real as it's being treated ostensibly by those antimicrobials
0: it's trying to eliminate some of those contaminant events perhaps is the the rationale for that addition
1: correct and we also used a cdc pathogen list to qualify for a pathogen as well so there's a couple layers of you know trying to improve the specificity
0: right so excluding those common commensal organisms from single positive blood cultures
1: you know, from a CDC
3: standpoint, as you know, a lot of these exploratory studies have been you know years in the in the making, and part of that process, as we you know, I was very heavily influenced by you know Serby's papers with you know Anthony Harris and Claire Rock and others. As you've alluded to, you know, HOB is a new concept, and you know, if you went to a clinician you know in the ICU and said, "Hey, uh, does your patient have an HOB?" they're going to be they're going to say, "What are you talking about?" So we have a little bit of leeway to try to understand you know, what definition of HOB makes the most sense from uh, patient safety and infection prevention standpoint. And so part of this work that we've been exploring with folks on this, um, on this episode here is trying to understand you know, how different definitions of HOB perform. We've been interested in understanding you know, different ways to define this concept.
2: One other thing, if I may comment, is, you know, this this idea of what to do with commensal organisms has, you know, it's been very intriguing. In some of the earliest work we did, you know, we analyzed our trends, both including and excluding commensals. And it was very interesting to see that, you know, regardless of whether you included them or did not, the overall HOB rate, so to speak, tracked very closely with CLABSI, both just the, the total, including commensals, and then, you know, the, just the pathogenic or non-commensal organisms. And then just from a QI perspective, yes, you know, commensals probably don't have the same clinical significance, but they are associated with other harm, right, whether it's excessive antibiotic use or investigations and hostile length of stay costs, etc. So, you know, from our standpoint, we did have a desire to think about that, either including it in the measure or as a separate
1: measure. Yeah and Serbi, that's an interesting, you know, from, from a clinical and a former administrator level. I, I think those are really excellent points. We published a paper in 2016 that used a different algorithmic r- rubric to define a bloodstream infection in the hospital onset period. And we used propensity match controls to look at mortality and cost. And actually those non-reportable hospital onset bloodstream infections carried with it in association with a 17% higher mortality, but also a $20,000 per case incremental cost. And so as hospital administrators you know, grapple with HOB, we should always keep the patient care as the prime focus. There is morbidity, mortality, and costs, and those are things all C suites should be concerned about. And so what form this takes as a metric, I think we shouldn't lose sight of the obvious, which is it's the patient care that that needs improvement. Yeah,
0: and I think that's a great segue into what I'd plan for my next question, which is, you know, even though the definitions have varied across the studies and have evolved over time, what do we know about how common these HOB events actually are in, in clinical practice?
1: So I can go first for the paper that Ray and I and, and our teams. So we used a different denominator. It's just a function of the data that we have and sort of the ease with which to Analyze it, but the median HOB events, and this is over nine million admissions assessed in 267 hospitals over a period of four years, up into the the COVID start, because we obviously we didn't want that as an X factor. The rate was 0.124 per 100 admissions. Now that might seem low at first blush, only because the denominator is different. Usually, per 1,000 patient days is the denominator. And if you do it, if you cut data that way it's actually 0.29 per 1000 patient days so that's about what other studies have reported but interested in what uh, my fellow podcasters have to say about that
3: yeah this is uh you you know some of the preliminary work you know that we've done that we hope to get published you know sometime Soon, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see somewhere from you know two to three or four times as many HOB events as compared to say collapses in a hospital. But of course it will you know depend on what your patient mix is, you know, how many critically ill patients you have, etc.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's similar to what we saw in some of the studies. And I think it is influenced by the definition, particularly of the HOB definition. So if you treat you know, every positive blood culture as one event, then I think in in different studies, we saw anywhere between six to almost like 20% of the HOB cases being CLABSI, right? So just thinking of proportion as opposed to the actual rates of the numbers of events. And I think that reflects what Ray is also saying.
0: Yeah, so by that measure, maybe, 15 times as many absolute events compared to what we're seeing in terms of CLABSI. So certainly does seem to capture a larger potential population of patient harms, if you will. And of course, when we're collecting HAI data, we're ideally not doing it just for the sake of collecting data, but rather we want to be able to use that data to identify opportunities, to make improvements, and to avoid preventable complications of healthcare. So what do we actually know about the preventability of these HOB events?
3: I'll also say that you know that the concept of HOB as a kind of larger marker of healthcare-associated infection burden I mean, isn't a, a brand new idea. You know, there's there's folks uh, healthcare systems that have you know similar concepts that they've integrated into their you know into their quality workspace to kind of track their HEI burden. And as Serby mentioned, it does tend to track with things like your Clabsi burden. One of the benefits, you know, that we saw early on, you know, that I think was highlighted in some of Serby's papers earlier is that when you look at an event that has a larger numerator and less and more objective data elements, you have potentially a measure that is probably better suited for quality reporting programs where hospital comparisons are needed compared to, you know, HAIs that have more, you know, subjective data elements. And so that's part of the interest in this. Coming back to the preventability question, you know, this is certainly something that we're very interested in in learning a lot about, and Serbi will may want to comment on some of the work that she's been doing in this space with Greg and others. But we also know that some healthcare systems have used this as more of a, initially as a kind of broad ecologic marker and not necessarily focused on root cause analysis for every single patient used it as markers for things like, you know, are they for environmental cleaning or if they think that they're, if they're able to isolate their HOB you know burden to particular populations at risk for CLABSIs or or surgical site infections. And so it's, I think, especially initially, as we learn more about how to best utilize HOB as a marker of HEI burden, um, I think it'll have a lot of use as that more global marker initially.
0: Serbian, you published a study a couple of years ago where there's a, a, a small group or a small number of HOB events across, I think it was three different academic medical centers and found that about 50% of the non-commensal HOB events were thought to be potentially preventable. So it certainly does seem like it, there are actions that might be able to, to result from, from this work. Because many of our current HAI outcome measures are much more specific to indwelling devices and procedures and specific organisms, which does perhaps help us to identify and focus on our shortcomings and opportunities, whereas HOB really captures you know, BSIs due to any source or any organism. And as we've heard, depending on how you define them, there could potentially be hundreds of these potentially in any given hospital in a year. So that could be perhaps daunting in terms of thinking about how we use that data for prevention. And Ray, you started to allude to this already. But from a practical standpoint, those of us who haven't worked with these data are probably wondering how we could use it in our quality improvement efforts. And I know, Servi, Greg, you've been working on this to some extent, and perhaps really the paper that Greg, you, and Servi have published this month really maybe helps us to get our heads around this. So, can you talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing and what you found?
4: Thanks, Dave. I think it was mentioned earlier, there's currently really a lack of familiarity with the concept of HOV amongst frontline clinicians, even though clinically not just for our clinical staff at the bedside, but our infection prevention control teams, there's a lot of familiarity with the morbidity certainly associated with HOB events. And there likely have been thoughts as far as prevention that have gone through a process of quality improvement, but maybe not in the same structured and formal way in which our other HAI events that are reportable currently that they go through at, at many institutions. And so when we were approaching our study, we recognized that there's really no standardized approach or methodology to determine the preventability of any HAI, and especially that's the case for HOB, where there may be many, many etiologies, a very broad range of etiologies that are then challenging and intimidating, to, to be honest, to, to start to approach. So I think what we first determined to do is recognizing that we would need to develop a structured way to approach this, we first wanted to establish a gold standard, a reference standard for which we could compare that to. And to do that, we started with a panel of experts and, and used something known as Delphi methodology to iteratively work through HOB case scenarios to develop some consensus around the preventability of those events and then compare review of those same cases using a structured framework in order to assess how it performed and then put it into use on a larger subset of hov cases with the aim to identify those that are preventable and then inherently a room for improvement in quality and care delivery but also some areas where there's uncertainty where we may have an opportunity for innovation with some novel research and in prevention methods and move the, the field of hospital epi moving ahead in preventing those events,
2: I did want to comment too. When Ray had led that first study of this pilot of preventability, and at that time, looking at the literature, there was this idea of rating things on a Likert scale, and that's how we started out. But then, you know, we added the concept of is it possible for us to account for the patient's intrinsic risk of of developing a bacteremia, bloodstream infection? and account for that in a, in a more explicit way than is done otherwise in determining preventability. And then add to that what we consider the extrinsic or healthcare associated risk of causing harm or infection. And so we incorporated into that Likert scale one to six assessment of you know, moving from what we would consider definitely preventable to not preventable. But even during the pilot, I think it was clear that there was still so much subjectivity in that determination. So this next follow-up study that that Greg had led, and and as you described, we went to this you know this extensive process of getting a consensus of preventability from a group of experts and trying to see whether a more structured way of doing that would match what the experts thought was quote-unquote, the true or gold standard preventability rating for a given case or scenario. So I, I think that was a labor of love. A lot of lot of effort went into developing those case scenarios, borrowing from what we see in, in our hospitals and other places, and getting a group to rate them. Even developing consensus, I think it was pretty clear that it was often hard to achieve consensus, even after deliberation and discussion. So I think that's something that we all need to keep in mind moving forward as this does become a metric, that it's not always going to be clear-cut whether in a given case, you know, there was true opportunity or room for improvement.
4: just to add to that, when it comes to deliberation around preventability, it was, I think, one of the, the most interesting findings of our study was gathering together this group of experts who represented various disciplines within medicine, whether it be pediatrics, infectious disease, critical care medicine, hospital medicine on the adult and pediatric side. With the opportunity to individually review these cases in detail and then get together and discuss them, we found that there was lack of agreement on just the underlying source of the infection. When you then broke apart different sources, whether or not those from the infectious disease standpoint, whether or not there's preventability in those sources of infection at all. And there was quite a bit of difference that came through based on the individual's clinical experience and their expertise and and familiarity with that area. And so it was, as Serby mentioned, challenging and took multiple conversations sometimes to, to try to bring to the forefront, the opinions around preventability from these experts and, and move towards consensus. And even after all of that, still, it was only about two thirds of our c- clinical case scenarios where we, we were able to achieve consensus. And, and so I think just, again, highlights the challenges moving forward when there's such a dearth of evidence in some of these HOV sources and also the wide range of, of them to begin with.
1: Greg and Servi, th- I think the type of work that you're doing is, is so important because the harsh reality is that hospital administrators, and I'm speaking as one of them, and and most of them are not infectious disease trained, they will uh, compare numbers, events, rates among their different hospitals. And without some guidance on preventability or even an optic into the feasibility of that, that whole process can run into trouble because what they're effectively trying to do, as you you probably experienced at the hospitals that you practice at, but they're looking at best performers, quote unquote, and then what are those best practices. And they're trying to collate, you know, something that can be standardized across their hospitals. And so, you know, in my prior life, I was responsible for 15 hospitals, but, you know, good intentions sometimes, you know, while the intent is pure, <laughs> really depends on the data and how, in this case, how preventable a certain outcome is. So looking forward to your, your follow-up paper and sort of the insights that that as informing what might be a quote-unquote HIV bundle. Yeah, if I could add a little
3: bit here, you know, I think the work from Serbian Greg has been really important. They got a lot of, you know, really smart people together to talk about and, and pour through, you know, these hundreds and hundreds of HOB cases um, to understand the sources and and preventability of each of these infections. And I think part of the challenge I think that you see reflected in there is that, you know, this is a new concept. When these infections, you know, clearly fell into uh, existing buckets like CLABSIs and such, it became probably a lot clearer for those reviewers, you know, what, what that preventability should be. There is, you know, this this lack of knowledge, lack of experience with understanding how to best use HP because it is a new concept for folks. And so I think, you know, just taking the a longer view of where we're at, you know, I'm hoping that with the introduction of hob as this new kind of, of concept new carrot that we can reach for as a field that that will spur you know more innovation and more knowledge gathering so we can understand you know how to prevent you know many more of these kinds of infections because we do know from you know some of our preliminary data that patients with hob events have a you know an in hospital mortality of about 25 percent which is similar to the historical data on CLABSI mortality and so we know that even though it's just a sub of these patients have CLABSIs that you know that this is a really a really big deal for patients in their in their long-term outcomes and I think it was a is the reason why you know, NHSN is interested in bringing this in I will add also this might tra- help transition to some of your other questions but I think as we alluded to, you know, especially early on, the goal of especially early on as we introduce HOB is not to suddenly get down to zero events, you know, that we're going to be you know, hoping that we can reduce the numbers of, of these infections. But that since the goal is not zero right off the bat, that they're of course risk adjusting any HOB measure is going to be critically important for its success as a quality measure. And we're happy to talk a little bit about that as well.
0: No, I think that is a great transition, Ray. Thanks to the discussion about introduction of HOB into the NHSN system. And I actually first learned of that plan at the Shea Spring Conference earlier this year, where I actually heard you give a talk, a really good talk on a number of things, but included this new HOB measure being added to the NHSN system. And at that point, it sounded like the idea was that it was going to become a reportable metric in early 2023. Is that still the timeline that we're looking at or are there updates to that?
3: Yeah, from an NHSN standpoint, we're looking to have the measure start to become available for optional reporting in 2023. In terms of, you know, when CMS may mandate that hospitals report, that's going to be at some time, you know, down the road. And, you know, I want to also speak with a little bit of humility here, you know, with the kinds of ups and downs of HAIs and the strains that hospitals have been under due to the COVID-19 pandemic it's hard to nail down timelines i'm sure we've always we've all been burned a couple of times by kind of predictions that we've made you know since uh, 2020 so i think there's still you know those kinds of timelines are still to be determined
0: so it sounds like coming relatively soon probably and optional reporting at the beginning at least so uh, not a mandatory report that will start in January 2023 Great. So we had talked earlier about how the definition of HOB has varied across studies and really morphed over time as we learn more and think more about what might be valuable and usable information. What definition is going to be used for this new NHSN measure?
3: Hey David, I can take that question. So there's some additional work that we'll hope to get published soon. You know that suggests that probably going with a simpler definition is is the best way to go at the onset. So it'll be you know a positive blood culture for a pathogenic bacteria or fungi starting at hospital day four or later there're still some some details some fine details of the measure that we're looking to define with some additional research that's underway you know for example you know we are definitely interested in trying to exclude patients with clearly non preventable hob events from an hob sir so how that would work would mean that the infection preventionists would get the list of all the patients with HOB events. Not necessarily all of those have to be factored into an HOB metric, especially for folks you know, where it's pretty clear and consistent that you know, these particular types of HOB events are not preventable. We would like to exclude those you know, from an SIR.
2: I was just going to add to that point, uh, you know, we are completing a larger study of evaluation of HOB events from several hospitals as part of the CDC epicenters program. And one of the goals of that evaluation was to identify, as Ray said, predictors of what are clearly non-preventable HIV events with the goal of excluding them from any metric. That's, again, learning from many years of struggling with things that really cannot be prevented on the front lines and creating frustrations all around for both administrators and clinicians alike and infection preventionists as well. So hopefully we'll have some more data coming out soon relative to that and, and will help refine the metric.
3: And David, I can add, you know, from the NHSN standpoint, you know, we are planning for HOB to primarily be reported via FHIR or FAST Healthcare Interoperability Resources, which is this new standard that some of you may have noticed, you know, starting at about the summer of this year or last year or so, that patients suddenly had all of their clinical information at the same time that you did. So you may have had the experience where you're rounding on a patient and they they ask you about their lab tests you know that just came out an hour ago that they can actually see on their phone and that has to do with some rules that cms put in that stated that hospitals have to be able to push out certain clinical information using fire resources and that's been in effect for i guess about a year now it's a very you know, interesting great technology that will allow a lot more fast and rapid and nearly instantaneous you know exchange of healthcare data and we're looking to leverage that for an HSN reporting of some of our new measures and so, you know, the very first measure that is going to be using fire is actually a measure of hypoglycemia. So not in the HAI space, that's going to be our first measure. And then the first HAIs are going to be HOB and a new C. difficile measure. It's going to be healthcare, I believe it's, I apologize if I butcher the name, but I think it's going to be healthcare-associated antibiotic-treated C. difficile So an improvement over the existing C. difficile measure that incorporates antimicrobial treatment for C. difficile.
0: I guess these are all kind of moving towards that idea of less manual work to identify cases that would be more all electronically identified, allowing theoretically our infection prevention teams to spend more time doing prevention rather than surveillance.
3: Yes. And David, I'll just add one more thing, you know, part of the benefit of this type of data exchange is that it makes it a lot more straightforward to make small adjustments to the measure. So, for example, you know, if a service group comes out with a paper that says, hey, you know, this particular patient population probably should be excluded, you know, from an HOB measure, since we'll have this rapid data exchange with users, we can actually change the logic of the measure on the NHSN side. And so the user doesn't have to make those changes on the user end.
2: Thanks, Ray. That that is so exciting. I think just hearing of all those changes, (laughs) you know, even a couple of years ago, that would have sounded so futuristic and it's hard to think that that's coming soon, but but
0: really great. Kind of follow up a little bit on the what happens after the data gets submitted aspect of all of this. So typically when an outcome measure is introduced in an HSN, it comes with the ability to retrieve our data from the system and to benchmark our performance with that of other hospitals, often after some degree of risk adjustment. And thinking about this new HOB metric, I was wondering what we know about interhospital comparison of HOB data and what kind of risk adjustment might be necessary. And I know Calvin and Ray, the paper you published this month is really relevant to this topic. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your study and what you learned about risk adjustment and inter-hospital comparison of, of this data, these data.
1: Sure. So, you know, the two principal overarching questions for the paper that Ray and I just published was number one, is a more robust risk adjustment possible for HOB and using what we felt were easily or more easily extractable data from electronic medical records? And then number two, if so, what would the implementation of such a metric look like within the SAR rubric of ranking hospitals as you know in the framing of a quality metric? And we built a simple model of You know, facility level descriptors through bivariate analysis to risk adjust and create a simple model generated SIR for HOB. And then we created a complex model, which actually intentionally had nested within it the elements of the simple model, but also clinical variables of blood culture testing intensity and prevalence. So blood culture testing practices in as a proxy if you will, for different patient case mixes, because that's really what we're getting at here, where if you have a reportable metric, you're going to have the transplant centers, tertiary centers point out that their types of patients is not the same as a 200-bed community hospital, right? And so we all know that, and we've kind of lived through that as the existing HGI metrics sort of evolved over time, over a period of a decade, that this is actually the case. And so what we found through Statistic assessments, which is in the papers, that the complex model had the best model fit and accounted for the, you know, accounted for overdispersion of HOB events. That was good from a statistical standpoint. But when we actually looked at the complex model risk adjustment, which included the blood culture testing practices, the ranking of the top HOB event hospitals, so these are the worst performing, quote unquote, you know, had the highest HOB rates the ranking changed significantly. I think 55% of those hospitals decreased in the quartile. So their rank actually improved when you applied the risk adjustment of the complex model. And so tying that back to what Ray and the others were talking about, I think there's room to remove those unpreventable HOBs from the actual metric based on what we saw because there's quite a downfall of like a large percentage of those hospitals actually perform better when you risk adjust. Using the blood culture testing practices alone. The other thing that I think would be interesting to your podcast audience is that the community onset bacteremia was a significant predictor of HOB rates. And so that also speaks to, you know, if you have a sicker patient population at baseline, maybe a transplant patient that gets discharged with invasive devices, they're coming in with what appears to be community onset bacteremia. It just makes sense that that level of severity is also reflected in the subsequent HOB. So I do think. We've learned a lot on national metrics and the importance of risk adjustment. And hopefully through Greg and Sherba's work, there is the ability to pull out what's not preventable to have a a better performing metric. And the last thing I'll say is working in the infection prevention and ID field for more than 20 years, we shouldn't let perfect get in the way of better because an infection preventionist will tell you that there's never 100% preventability. We strive for that. For patient safety, but you know, if there's an opportunity to be better and improve lives, we should do it, and then build upon it.
2: I was just going to echo that point, and and Ray and I have discussed that several times. Right, when we look at other metrics, not even in the HAI field, whether it's you know readmission or mortality, and you know you look at some of the publications on how preventable those might be. Those are actually even, you know, in, in the lower ranges, so, you know, more in the, in the 15 30% range of what is considered preventable. Yet, you know, because some of those are really severe and poor outcomes for our patients, uh, finding that room for improvement and aiming to prevent what's preventable is still worthwhile, even if it's not 100% or, or you know, anywhere close to 100%.
4: Yeah, and I was just going to say that completely sharing that sentiment and and bringing the patient back to the center of this discussion. One of the next steps that Servi and I are taking as part of the CVC Epicenter Prevention Program is thinking through for our hospital-based teams once reporting and and measuring HOB goes into effect. What will this look like for day-to-day infection prevention operations and? We had developed a very complicated and very detailed standardized approach to rating these for research purposes, but that's not really feasible with the number of HOV events that even those deemed more preventable by the models that Calvin and and Ray have been working on. Even with that, we know that these will occur. And so what would it take for a team to review these cases and whether we think we can draw from them to improve quality of care? And so we have started, and we're just in the early stages of this, of holding simulated root cause analyses-like discussions around HOB events. And I think what's been even just so far exciting to watch is the directions that these discussions go that are so different from what I'm used to hearing and seeing during some of the RCAs held for the other HAI events that we're used to talking about and how our Teams here have started to think, you know, outside the box, and in, in terms of ways to prevent these events from occurring in the future, because this is really new space that they're working into and thinking through this as a preventable problem. That I think will, you know, be exciting for and I to see where this leads, and be happy to discuss that on a future podcast as well.
0: Great. Well, I think that was a sort of a great way to kind of tie up the the podcast, talking about thinking outside the box and really making sure we're focusing on our patients and their outcomes. And so we end every podcast by asking each participant to give our listeners an action item that they can take away from the podcast and that they could put into practice in the very near term. So not theoretical things, but real concrete things. So I'll ask each of you for one or two tips or suggestions that would help us get ready to introduce this HOB measure into our infection prevention and quality improvement programs. So maybe I'll start with you, Serby.
2: Maybe I can pick up on what was just said is, you know, instead of focusing on, you know, this counts or doesn't count and it's preventable or not, but really finding where the opportunity gaps and opportunities might be for prevention when reviewing these events, to me, is, you know, the future of not just the HIV metric, but for HI prevention and patient safety in general.
4: Great. How about you? We've been accustomed with the metrics that we currently are, are have in place that we're reporting. We've been very accustomed to looking for the same potential contributing factors, you know, things that we know or have guideline recommendations with white papers out. And, and so I think one thing to just start putting into practice is, is just keeping your eyes more open to areas for opportunity, like Servi said, and what we expect or we hope will come from this are New areas where there are currently either no guidelines available for providing insight to be developed to help
1: improve quality for these patients that are quite vulnerable moving forward. Calvin? One of the takeaways is to start with what you know first and focus on CLABSI, CAUTI, SSIs, and even hospital-acquired pressure injuries. All of those are mandated or reportable. Joint Commission and CMS, when they do the licensing auditing of your hospitals, they will look at these. And the fact is, from a clinical standpoint, all of these could evolve into an HOB event. And so I think starting with what you know, until the important research from, you know, Serbian Greg and Ray come out further is probably the best play. So you become more familiar with, because these are all chunks of what is under the umbrella of HOB ultimately, or could evolve to HOB. The other thing is engage with your stewardship team. Because, as we've been talking about, not every HOB will be preventable. And so, the identification and definitive therapy and getting people on the right and appropriate antimicrobial quicker will be important to help mitigate length of stay and mortality as sort of HOB evolves as a more accurate metric.
3: Yeah, I think from the NHSN standpoint, we're really excited to see the development of HOB. We certainly anticipate there's going to be a lot of feedback as we learn more, and we really want that feedback and would definitely welcome it. Additionally, you know, I would advise folks to stay engaged, you know, with your hospital's chief medical informatics officer in the IT department because once we are able to publish, you know, our our official guidelines for and guidance for getting the reporting going, we'll need their assistance, you know, with with setting up the reporting to the new um, NHSN, you know, fire interface. I am uh, overall very hopeful and very confident that uh, HOB will both benefit our patients and will be you know, a more fair measure of HCI burden in facilities and, and give us those more um, equitable comparisons that we've been wanting uh, as a field.
0: Great. I think this was just a, a fantastic and really interesting discussion. I want to thank all of you once again for spending time with us today and for sharing your knowledge of and your experience with this HOB measure and for your efforts to help all of us improve the quality and safety of care in our hospitals. I also want to thank our producer, Lindsay McMurray. And I finally, I want to thank you, our listeners. I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of the Itchy Podcast.